This is Leafs Late. Hi, this is Mike Ross, public address announcer for your Toronto Maple Leafs, and this is the Leafs Late Night Podcast, your post-game destination. And now, your starting lineup, Roscoe, the Fanalist, Southey, Beaner, and Darty Brodeur on the Leafs Late Night Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. It is I, Roscoe, your host. And welcome to Leafs Late Night, where it is never too late for the Leafs, presented by Inside the Rink. I'm joined by Beaner. The rest of the team could not make it tonight. Southey's dealing with some tech issues. He might jump in. He might not. We don't know. But uh, we're here. And there's a lot to talk about. It's been a crazy week. Pretty good. We We just got back from uh, a trip up to a cottage for a week. So somewhat relaxed, as relaxed as you can be after coming back with the family. Cleaning the house up when you get back. Nice. Good. Right on. Right on. I like that. I uh, spent the weekend falling down weird holes on on YouTube. And I think that before we get into hockey, one that's common to fall into, at least from people that I've talked to, um, have you ever found the primitive builds where the people like uh, it'll be a, a title like five star underground hotel style pool built by hand? And it's like a guy in the middle of a forest with like a stick and he builds some like crazy pool and it's all like time lapsed and you see him putting this thing together and then goes like to a river pretty far away and puts together all these bamboo things and it like funnels the water from this river over and and it makes this like crazy structure and like, wow, how did he do this? Uh, I can't say that I have. Um, and that is definitely not where I thought you were going when you started that sentence, because I just I just heard I spent the weekend falling down holes and I just immediately <laughs> envisioned you falling all over the place all weekend. Yeah. Just playing pitfall IRL. Uh, no, so I don't know if any of you guys have stumbled upon this section of YouTube, but um I did a while ago and I thought it was really cool. And uh, that is not the hole that I fell down yesterday. Uh, yesterday I found a video where somebody investigated and debunked all of them as being fake and found like excavator tracks and like actual bags of concrete and things hidden in the background of shots. And, you know, someone flew a drone over top of one of the sites and saw a huge team of people working. So they are not real. And that was kind of a little... I don't know. I work in film, so I should have assumed it wasn't real, but I don't know. That was, that was a little disappointing to find out. Yeah, you never you never, you never want to meet your heroes, right? Anyway, hockey. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it's one of those things. You never want to pull, pull back the curtain on something that's cool on the internet. You know, sometimes you won't like what you find. Um, another thing real quick before we get into hockey, cause I know that's the most important thing here. Uh, the blue Jays, what the hell happened there? That thing was <laughs> absolutely insane. Unfortunately, I was not watching it. Um, I remember getting an update on my phone about an inside the park grand slam. And I thought, Oh, that's not a massive baseball fan. I don't follow it super close, but I'm thinking to myself, that's gotta be fairly rare. So I watched the highlight of that and thought, Oh, sweet. You know? give it to the socks a bit and good on them. And then all of a sudden I checked the score later on and I, I couldn't believe it. It was like, it was the Argonauts versus the Red Sox or something. Yeah. I was at work and I got an update. It's like third inning, 10, nothing Jays. I'm like, what, what is going on? And sure enough, 
the fifth inning, they put 11 runs home. Are you joking? So the MLB all-time record is 29 runs in a game. Uh, The Jays, who are currently on a six-game winning streak, destroy the Red Sox 28 to 5. What? (laughs) I've never seen a 20-plus baseball game in my life. I'm just, uh, we got to get an NHL team there this season. Get them to 20. 20? You think, like, I mean, we did see a lot of double-digit ones last season, like more than we've ever seen before, I think. So I don't know if 20 is ever possible, but I'm never going to say never. Uh, So where do we start here? Do you want to start with the trade? That was kind of (laughs) crazy. I think the best part of it was that we're all blowing up about it in our group chat, but um, bless Steph. She had gone to sleep and woke up to this and was like, (laughs) what did I I miss going to bed early? Oh my God. Uh, What she missed, (laughs) what she missed was Matthew Kachuk getting traded. Just his rights to the uh, Florida Panthers for Mackenzie Wieger, Jonathan Huberdeau, a first-round pick and a prospect whose name escapes me. But um, what? <laughs> what? Am I crazy? But like, they immediately signed him to what was it, eight times nine and a half, I think, and uh, one million dollars a year. That is salary. The rest is yeah. There's bonuses. there's a lot of contracts. Interesting contract actually in the NHL that are like that. Because they're, if I remember correctly, they're pretty much escrow proof. But yeah, they're buyout proof because you get paid regardless of whether there's a lockout or you know whatever's <laughs> happening. If there's a pandemic, like we saw, you get paid on July first. Yeah. that signing bonus, regardless of what goes on with the salaries. So when everyone's salaries were cut because of uh, COVID, you know he's still entitled to an eight and a half million dollar signing bonus. July first. Yeah, and, and then the escrow so portion would only factor against that one million that he's making. So his base salary is going to be like what eight hundred and fifty grand a year, and then yeah. he'll get his signing bonuses. And it's bio proof because what I think is that they, if I understand correctly, if they ever wanted to buy him out, they would owe the entire signing bonus, and then the salary is what's divided out over seasons so it would be that million dollars gets split up but they would owe like you know potentially upwards of 40 million dollars depending on when they bought it out so the other side of that is say july 1st rolls around in you know three years and it's not working out there uh say there's a team let's say the arizona coyotes someone who doesn't like spending a lot of money if you pay that eight and a half million signing bonus on july 1st come july 2nd that person's only owed a million you can send them to a team that really doesn't want to spend money, but wants to hit that cap floor. And that's that little loophole we always talk about that uh, some of those teams are trying to pull where it's bring on contracts that are less money than they're actually valued out on paper. So interesting little asterisks to this Kachuk contract. But uh, I think the weirder thing is what the fuck was Florida think? Bills, okay. I don't understand the return on this because it's not like the player was locked down to a sweet contract. This was something that they had to negotiate once they had him over there, or at least, you know, we assume that it was worked out in advance somewhat, but it's not like the guy was on, you know, a sweetheart $7 million deal for the next couple of years. And Florida just came off winning the president's trophy. Like Huberto has been the backbone of this team. Uyghur is like the core of their defense. 
they've already given up first round picks for the next God knows how many years to bring in Sherratt and Giroux for a handful of games and to get demolished by Tampa. So it's, like, what, what was it's the mind point? blowing how this trade, like how you could think this trade would have unfolded because if you read reports and everything like that, apparently Huberto and the Panthers were in extension talks because this is the last year of his contract. This is a guy you drafted, what was Huberto, third overall, I think, second or third overall when he was drafted. He literally owns, I think, every single one of your franchise records for forwards except goals. Like, he is going to go down as one of the best Panthers of all time. And you treat him like that? Like, it's mind-blowing. And... What makes less yeah. sense to me is that Calgary was up against a wall. How did they get this kind of return? Like everybody was talking about, well, you know, you're not going to like the return if you're a Calgary fan on this because look, he wants out and it's just going to be wherever he wants to go, wherever he's willing to go. You know, teams are going to take advantage of that and say, well, he doesn't want to stay there. So we know we can give you whatever we want. And clearly everybody was outbid. Was there that much of a, there, a bidding war on this? Is that what happened? Who you believe there sounds like there was one i haven't seen any reports of who was involved in offers from other teams but um new jersey was reportedly in on them the islanders were depending who you ask the islanders were interested but everybody knows lou doesn't like giving any information at all um st louis was clearly interested he's from the st louis area um there was another team in there uh but regardless like you wouldn't think you would be able to get that type of return. Ah, yes. Uh, Vegas was in on them because Vegas is in on everybody. They don't understand that at some point you need to shed money and you can't just keep yeah. Ve- throwing Vegas money is Vegas. People. You give away but, uh, a Vesna winning you know. goaltender and you give away a point per game scoring winger. So, Yeah, I mean, if they got him, it would just be like, all right, and yeah. we're going to send hmm, Eichel out the door. We just signed him. Yeah, well, now he's gone. And now Florida has Welcome to the Vegas on defense Knights. Aaron Eckblad and basically anyway. AHL defenseman. Yeah, who do they act? What is their. So as of right now, you would have defensive like, right now. Um, pairing wise, I couldn't really tell you who they would play with, but you'd have Eckblad and probably Montour. You'd have Gustav Forsling, Radko Gudis. Um, they have on an entry level contact, so a rookie, Calais Shallon, then Lucas Carlson, and Mark Stahl. Okay, so wow. I don't understand what the plan is here. Like people were trying to fight me on this. Like here, you know what? Just to just to do this whole argument justice, I'm gonna pull up. So I retweeted the return and like this whole trade. And I said, um, and people say fired Dubas for dropping 13 spots because the, from at Sergey, uh, this is Sergey at Bears and underscore goal from Matthew Chuck in 20 games of Claude Giroux and Ben Girard, uh, the Florida Panthers traded Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Wegar, former top 10 pick Owen Tippett, a first round pick in 23, 24, 25, third round pick in 24 and two prospects. Okay. But people were saying, you know, Dubas offloading Morazic's contract to drop 13 spots in the draft is a fireable offense. So I retweeted that, and these are the responses. 
on the negative side. Um, no, fire Dubas because of no playoff success. Um, Florida won a playoff round. Um, someone him fired for not making this deal. Can we for a second just like, okay, let's put this in, in Leafs context. This is uh, basically trading away Mitch Marner, Morgan Riley, and like Nick Robertson and a first rounder. Are you fucking crazy to get out just to make the second round? Maybe. Maybe. And I don't Okay. If that's the trade you guys well, want to make, it's I don't so know. mind blowing because even after doing this, they're over $3 million over the cap. And they don't have uh, like one of those contracts like the Tampa Bay Lightning with Seabrook. They don't have a contract that they're going to throw on LTIR at the start of the season that will get them below it. Like, they're, they've got six and a half million in buyouts still coming up this year. They're paying five point three to Keith Yandel. Yeah, and and one one point one to Scott Darling. Jesus, see, when I first saw that they picked up Kachuk, I was like, oh my mm-hmm. god, the Atlantic Division is a war zone. But then when I saw what they gave up, I'm like, oh, this just got interesting because we've talked a lot about you know as the, some of these other teams in the East start getting a little better, like. I mean, Buffalo and Ottawa are kind of getting there. And, you know, we'll see what Montreal does in the next couple of years. But it's like, who's Boston's kind of on that tipping point of are they going to make it or aren't they? But those those wildcard spots are basically to the Metro at this point, from what I can see. So who's going to knock who out of a playoff spot? And I think Florida being a little question mark now makes it much more interesting, especially for the Leafs to potentially take the uh, the first place spot in the Atlantic. Because... I mean, really, the only thing standing in their way was them and, and Tampa. And Tampa proves to not have that much effort in the regular season, especially the last couple of years, because they know what they're preparing for. So, I mean, look, I know it's not the Stanley Cup, but hey, if the Leafs can win the President's Trophy going into the playoffs, I'm okay. Yeah. Oh, actually, sorry. I was mistaken a little earlier. Duclair, I believe, ruptured his Achilles this offseason in training. So he'll be on LTIR at $3 million, So they'll... They'll be like three hundred thousand over the cap, oh, but there you still, go. yeah. And I, I, sorry, I, I agree with you. It's um, yeah. when I first heard it, I was kind of thinking to myself, "Ah, oh, crap! How in the hell is anybody going to be able to deal with Florida if they take the team they had and they had Kachuk?" Because I just kept thinking to myself, "Everybody knows Kachuk wants out." He doesn't have a contract. He's already told Calgary he's not going to sign there. So there's no leverage whatsoever. So my mind was, okay, they're maybe sending a couple prospects and I don't know, maybe a Duclair or, you know, a good player, but not maybe the best. I yeah. thought it would look like the Eichel deal where you get a couple of guys that are, you know, this guy's okay. This guy's going to yep. be good and a pick. Because, look, you're up against a wall. We know this guy's good, but you have no choice. And instead, somehow, they were able to get a better deal for an unsigned Matthew Kachuk than Buffalo was able to get for Jack Eichel. I, I, <laughs> it's crazy. Yep. It, and Absolutely Calgary crazy. went from, like, holy crap, how are, how are these guys going to look this year after losing Goudreau, lo- potentially losing Kachuk, and they basically replace... Goudreau with a better version. No offense, Johnny, but in my mind, in my mind, Huberto is better than Goudreau. And you get rid yeah. of a 
potential problem in the room in Kachuk? Look, I think Calgary far and above ran away with this deal. We'll see what it looks like for Florida, but I just, I don't see them, like we've said, they don't have the cap space to fill out the spaces that they've created. I don't know. We'll see. Um, But that brings me to another point is that pretty much everybody's over the cap right now. Um, (laughs) And not only like what it was, I think nine of them are over the cap, but the amount of free agents still kicking around and the way that a lot of lineups are looking right now, uh, it's just not realistic to think that freezing the cap for a couple of years is just going to work and not cause any problems because look, every year people want to get paid more than the people who last signed contracts. That's, you know, the way that the world works and inflation and things. So these contracts were always, always going to get bigger. And uh, now we're at a point where there's no room to fit these in. And like, <laughs> we were just reading through the list of people that still need a contract. Calgary or Colorado is bending over backwards trying to find room to re-sign Nazem Kadri. But there's an insane amount of names that are like almost household names as far as the NHL goes that are sitting around waiting to find out if they're they have a team or not. And I think that's crazy. So at what point do we just say like, look, Maybe we put a, a, a luxury tax in this year just because there's there's no other way to get these guys jobs. Like from a, a player's union standpoint, like how do you give all these guys jobs if there's just no salary? Yeah, and it's, it's a catch-22, right? Because you have all the player agents, they're telling every single player to get every last dollar that you can, even if potentially a player was willing to take a little bit of a hometown discount to stay somewhere that they're happy behind the scenes their agents are saying no you can't do that because the next guy down the road will then you know he'll only be able to get this much instead of this much and it's yeah these guys represent more than one person they don't want to uh shoot their other negotiations in the foot by saying well your other guy took Mm -hmm. 5.6 to stay it's just a domino effect and you get the contract skyrocketing when maybe some players yes they deserve it but some of the other contracts you're looking at, it's like, why? Like um, Columbus signed Good Good Branson to what, four or five million a year? Yeah, it's a lot of these two and a half to five and a half million dollar contracts that came up in the last two years that I'm like, I don't know if that person's worth it. And everyone's saying, oh, it's the market. I'm like, Ilya Labushkin is a 2.75 or, million or dollar defenseman. Or at almost five. Get back to me. Like I love, I love mm-hmm. Mikheyev. Love him as a player, and That's he seems like he was a great person. And I'm gonna miss having him on the Leafs, but not of that money. In a world where there's no salary cap, sure, he should make that amount. That's about what the, he plays at. But if we're looking at the context of the NHL and how teams are structured, he's not in a position where they can afford to pay that much for it. Like he's not a, he's not really. He's a middle yep. six forward. And at least that's what he's been playing so far. Maybe if he's given the opportunity, he can move up beyond that. But right now he's a middle six forward and nobody can really afford to pay. Like, look, this is what we're doing with Alex Kerfoot at three and a half million dollars. He's a middle six forward. And we're like, that's too much money. And you're telling me 4.75 for Mikheyev is a better idea? Like, my God, the Leafs contracts are looking better and better every day these uh, free agencies go on. And I mean, this, I guess that was the idea when they first signed them. It just took a while to get there. This 
this feeling was supposed to happen like three yeah, years ago. And, and you don't want to use COVID as an excuse, but it, it really is an excuse because every contract that was signed in the previous four or five years, pretty much all of them were signed with the idea and the understanding that whoever gets the new TV deal, it's going to be lucrative. And with yep. that, the hockey-related revenue is going to go up and the cap is going to skyrocket. So now you have these players who have signed certain contracts and they're handcuffing themselves and they're handcuffing their teams because now the teams can't put as good of players around them. But if the cap would have continued to rise in the way it was rising and the way it was anticipated before the pandemic, these contracts would be fine. Like no one would be talking about Tavares still being a point per game player as a bad contract if the cap was where it should be. And at the end of the day, the whole point of all of this is to put an entertaining product on the ice. And I think it's doing a disservice to that by having all of these guys just sitting on the sidelines because, oh, well, you know, we, we're not allowing the teams to spend the money they have to sign you because that wouldn't be fair. Like, I, I just, I don't get it. It doesn't work right now. I mean, look, I'm just going through the list of the the free agents that are still sitting around here, UFAs. I mean, Phil Kessel, Patrice Bergeron, Radulov, Boychuk, uh, Andrew Ladd, Strahlman, DeKaiser, Kadri, Getzlav. Eh, he's probably retired. John Klingberg is still sitting around. Paul Statsny. Like, I mean, these are not nobodies. Corey Schneider and Braden Holtby have no team. Kyle Turris is always kicking around. James Neal doesn't have a team. Like, there's so many people. Derek Stepan, Michael Raffle, Ryan Dezingle, Blake Como, Matthew Perot, Cedric Paquette. Like, I'm just... This is nuts. These are guys that should be filling out these lineups. And instead, they're trying to fill them out with guys that are on league mins. And, like, it's nuts. And, I mean, bless these these 40-year-olds that are coming back on league min just to, to stay and play. But, like, I don't know if that's helping the cause Yeah, and, and even if you look at the restricted free agents as well, you have Jesper Bratt, Miles Wood, Andrew Mangiapane, Ethan Bear, Lawson Krause, uh, Yamamoto and Pugliarvi out in Edmonton, Jake Ottinger probably the best goalie performance in the playoffs in the last 10, 15 years in that round versus Calgary. Insane that he's waiting to find out where he's playing. Or yeah, if he's and playing. he still doesn't have like, a contract. You go down the list, Capo Caco, what was he, second round pick two, three years ago? Or second overall, sorry. Kirby Dock yeah. still isn't signed. Uh, Mario Ferraro, Mason Appleton, Alexander Romanov, Noah Dobson, like Sandine, so many yeah. I was just going to say Sandy out of Carolina, like so many good young players that don't have contracts. And it's, it's mind blowing that we're put in this position all because you want your project team to play in a university stadium. Did I say that? Honestly, but like at the end of the day, it's, it's this fake narrative about parody that keeps this there. And it honestly, all it's there for is to stop GMs from overspending. And I think at this point, there needs to be some middle ground where they, I mean, they've put in all these rules about the size of contracts they can hand out. There's a max dollar figure. There's a max year. Like, come on, that should be enough to keep these guys from making stupid decisions. Expand how much they can spend. 
at the owner's discretion, not at the GM's discretion, make the luxury tax like something where the GM's like, hey, I mean, because this was this would be how it works anyway, is they'd be like, hey, can I, you know, go a bit over our budget to get this guy? And they'll be like, yeah, sure. If it means that we get this person or if you're somebody like, you know, Chicago or Arizona, it's probably a no, don't do that. But you, you could even almost structure it like um, like offer sheet compensation, right? So say the Leafs are at 82 million in salary cap and they want to go and they want to sign John Klingberg or Kadri. So they want 8 million over. Well, if you're, you know, one to 4 million over, you have to pay a $1 million penalty or something towards the rest of the league. If you're $6 million over, you have to pay 4 million. If you're right, like structure it that way so that you've got to really have everybody on board to do something crazy stupid and then it's not going to get abused. What if they actually took the model of the offer sheet where you actually gave up picks depending on how over you were? Like, for example, if you're offer sheeting somebody with a 4.2 to $6.3 million contract, it's a first and a third round pick. If you want to be four to $6 million over the cap, is it a first and a third round pick? Who you do give the up? picks go to though? That's true. Like it's, I just think that would put a big, a big pause on people getting too crazy because you're going to have to have these owners not only sign on for say, okay, an extra $6 million in salary, but now I'm also going to have to pay 4 million to the league on top of that. So instead of 6 million, it's 10 million I'm paying out. So I, I don't think like, cause I've seen people argue, oh, well then it's just going to get ridiculous. You might not even have to need your, you shouldn't even need a cap at all. If, if it's done properly, I think it would really, really help because even teams like the Leafs or like the Habs or the Rangers teams that don't ever, ever in their existence need to worry about money. They're still going to think twice about spending too much over if if the the penalties are there and structured properly i don't care if teams go one million over two million over whatever like that first little bit because to me you're they're doing that with their juggling sending guys down for a couple days and pulling them back up like teams are doing that as it is anyways but and as you were saying earlier it it adds to it can add to the excitement if you get you know two, three, four years down the line, if Matthews, Marner, Tavares are still on the team and the Leafs haven't gone anywhere, all of a sudden they have a chance to get McDavid and the ownership says, you know what? Fuck it. $12 million over the cap. Yep. Let's Spend do it. The money. Don't care what the penalty is. Like you would have the potential to get a super team. I know that's not what the league wants because they want parity, but even if you have a super team in hockey, it's not guaranteed to win. It's this isn't basketball. No, and the the flip side of that is all the money that you're going over gets distributed out to those other teams. So the ones that are, you know, purposely not spending to the cap because they can't afford to all of a sudden get this boost where, you know, these guys are spread out evenly amongst the other teams. So I don't know. This is how a a luxury Mm -hmm. tax works. I think that's just something that should be talked about. I know it's a little late now. We're end of July, 
before the season starts. But uh, at this point, man, I don't know what's going to happen. There's too many guys that are, are kicking around. And it's just silly. Like we're like you're saying, every team is doing these cap gymnastics all the time. And they shouldn't be doing it just to be able to ice a normal-looking NHL team. Like a, the product that we come to expect instead of some stars, some rookies, and some old guys. Because that's kind of how every team is built. Well, right yeah, now. and then no one will admit if this is what's going on right now or not. But like the stalemate with Strawman and the or Strawman, I have his name in front of me, so I said it was Sandine and the Leafs. Um, <laughs> the stalemate with Sandine and the Leafs. There's some people that are saying that Sandine's pissed because with the bubble and COVID and cap gymnastics over the last couple of years, there's been times where on paper. He was sent down to the Marlies for a game or two or three. And that would drastic, drastically and affect his paycheck. That's the difference between a $750,000 a year and $80,000 a year contract or whatever it was. You a- absolutely. So, so I could see how someone could be pissed about that. Where on game day, they're on the Leafs. So they're making that seven hundred grand a year. But for every other day of the week, they're for paper purposes on the Marlies. So you might think it wouldn't affect you that much, but once you factor in taxes and everything like that, that would be a huge hit money-wise. Like, I I know Boohoo is making six figures, but that's the difference between, like, you sign a 750 or I'm going to say it was probably 830-something, whatever the the, uh, entry level is at now, or 900. And uh, you're probably at the end of the year taking home something Mm -hmm. like 200 after all those games that are cut and after taxes and everything and then paying your agent like it's way less than that even like i don't know i get why he's pissed and why he'd want more money just to make sure that something like that doesn't happen so um that leaves us with the leafs at 1.7 million over the cap right now i think i last checked so justin hall makes two Kerfoot's three and a half, Muzzin's five, six, five, or whatever it is. I mean, who's on the outs? Because, look, Sandine's got to be signed, and there's still some holes here. So I think that's where we're at. Actually, since we last talked, Kelly Yarncroke is a Toronto Maple Leaf. <laughs> Him and Abe Kubel. How fun. Yeah, I, th- I think those are going to be signings that everybody in Leafs Nation is going to like, unless your name is Carlo Koliakobo. Um because these players, despite Yarncroke being 30, as he liked to point out, he's a player that shows up. Like that's the that's the type of player that you need to be able to fill in and that you can find to to yeah. replace the guys that you can't afford to keep, as bad as that sounds. And especially coming off of a year where he got dumped off to Seattle, who was shit like like the guy wants to come back and prove that he can still play hockey and he's good. He, uh, wh- how many points he put up last year? I mean, he's like a double digit on either side, right? Like he's not a he's not a nothing player. Um, but the other the one that I'm not so familiar with is Abe Kubel. Are you more familiar with him than I am? I so he was like a <laughs> he was like him. a third fourth line guy for the Avalanche this past year. Um, mm-hmm. he is the one who dented the cup. As they were as yeah, as they were coming out. in for their their team pitcher, um, he's a high energy guy. He finishes every one of his checks from Northern Alberta. Um, only twenty six years old, shoots right. Like 
he was looking like he was going to be a decent player for the Flyers when he was on the Flyers team. And well, we, <laughs> we've seen what's happened with them over the past couple years. So Colorado ended up getting their hands on him and he, like he did well, he only had like in the, what did he play? 67 for Colorado this year and seven for the Flyers. So he only had 22 points, but he was one of those, like, how can I compare him for maybe like an Engvall type thing? Like he's going to, he's going to finish checks. He's going to play hard. He might not score every game, but you're going to like, you're going to notice him when he's out there. He's going to do everything that you want him to do. So just looking at Yarncroke's numbers here, I totally forgot that he got dealt to, um, to Calgary at the deadline this past season. So uh, he had 17 games there, only have four assists. But previous to that, he's, I mean, a 25 to 35 point scorer. Like he gets, he's literally the most consistent player. He's got 16 goals, 15, 16, 10, 15, 13, 12, 12. Like scores the exact same amount of goals every year. He's good for the same amount of assists. Like it's consistent, and that's all I can ask for because I think something that was missing last year, there were flashes of greatness. The you know a couple games in a row, everybody got excited about Kasha or Kampf or Engvall or Mikheyev, but nobody was consistent enough. Nobody was you know by the time you looked at their points at the end of the year, you're like, oh, is that all they they hit? I mean, Mikheyev hit twenty goals, that was great, but he was kind of the only one of that group that that got anywhere close to that. Like. You know who else I think forgot that he got traded to Calgary? Daryl Sutter. Um, <laughs> it, it seemed like Yarncroke never played. Like, he, okay, yeah, he played 17 games for the Flames. But it, it almost seemed like basically Sutter was just putting him out there because the Flames trained for him, traded for him. He didn't he didn't yeah, want to utilize him. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I can tell by the fact that he only had four assists after coming from you know, the numbers that he had previously. It's like, that just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. doesn't track with his, uh, his history. Um, in a little more sad news, our, uh, our goalie prospect and former world junior goalie, Ian Scott, um, unfortunately retires at 23. He's just been battling injuries for a long time. I mean, didn't it, it happen in a game with the Leafs? Yeah, he's, he's had quite a few, injuries right coming up right from junior like he was a he was a standout with prince albert raiders in the whl um and he was quite highly thought of in in the prospect system you know he was the chl goaltender of the year in oh when would that have been 2018 2019 somewhere in there Mm-hmm. and just he he couldn't quite put it together he would come to camp and either tweak something or maybe have a bad showing go back to the whl be great get injured and like just non-stop and, and, and it's really sad to see like even if he wasn't on the leafs you don't want to see someone who was highly touted not not at least get a chance because he really didn't even get a chance no he and it's unfortunate and i, I i'm trying to remember didn't he end up playing a game with the Leafs, he didn't at one point, or Mike? No, he never. He, did. I believe he played a preseason game or two, but never. That's it. Yeah, it was a preseason game, and he was really good in that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just unfortunate. I remember him and Wall both kind of came around at the same time as Canada and US as goalies from the juniors the same year, and uh, 
I hope the guy finds something to do within the organization because uh, it's it's tough to call it a career at 23. I can only imagine, man. Yeah, and then as, especially with going to the Canadian Hockey League, it's not like he has a like a university degree or anything to fall back on, right? Yeah, so I mean, having somebody like that within the Leafs' development for for goaltending would be cool. Um, I don't know if that's something he's interested in. Maybe he wants to completely switch gears and step away from hockey. Wouldn't be surprised with that either. Um, taking some time, but yeah, unfortunate nonetheless. So, uh, with all the moving and shaking going on, uh, do you, by chance, want to take a stab at uh, who the top five Stanley Cup odds are? So, the top five Cup odds. So, mm-hmm. if I had to put money on it right now, I'm going to say Colorado's first. And then I would say that... Toronto's probably second, and I'm not saying this because it's a Leafs podcast. I'm saying this because I'm thinking of it from Vegas's point of view. Because if you if you yeah. think of it from Vegas's point of view, you like people are going to bet on the Leafs, no matter what. So you don't want to, even if they're a crap team, you don't want to put their odds too far because people bet on them regardless, right? So I'm going to say mm-hmm. Colorado, Toronto. Um, Tampa, Colorado, Toronto, Tampa, Edmonton, Vegas, Florida, something like that. Okay, so this is as of July 22nd from FanDuel. Uh, Colorado Avalanche are a plus 450, which is nuts. Then followed closely, Carolina Hurricanes plus 1,000, Toronto Maple Leafs plus 1,000. So they're tied there. Florida Panthers are plus 1,100 and Tampa Bay Lightning plus 1,200. Then you've got uh, Vegas, Edmonton, Rangers, Pittsburgh, Minnesota. But the big one is the Calgary Flames dropped from... Uh, they Okay, so before they lost um, Gaudreau, they were at... Um, okay, so the Panthers... Moved from plus 1,300 to plus 1,100 by picking up Kachuk. Um, the Flames were at uh, plus 1,800, and now they're at plus 2,000. So they dropped 200 points, and then they dropped another 100 points to 2,100 after losing Kachuk. So the Flames are just going down. Might be a half-decent time to buy low on the Flames. Yeah. Uh, but the big one there is... Carolina's looking fucking dangerous, man. I don't know how... Uh, I know we talk a lot about the Atlantic, but the Metro quietly became extremely dangerous. Man, the, like the Rangers and um, and the Hurricanes are going to be um, definitely a force to be reckoned with there. So, we've been uh, avoiding talking about it for a bit, but we got to touch on it here before we um, get to the end of the show. Hockey Canada is a absolute disaster is the best way to put it there's been multiple accusations and court cases and investigations launched Um, i'm sure everybody has heard about them the reopening of the 2018 investigation in london and then the allegations from the 2002 2003 halifax tournament um 
this is just going from bad to worse every day. The info that's come out of how they basically had a slush fund to pay these things off is just crazy. Um, I apologize. I did not have a warning for uh, sexual assault here, but we won't get into details of it. There's, if you want to read about these things, you can. Uh, I'm not going to take away from the work that Rick Westhead and Katie Strang have done on this already. Um, but I just kind of wanted to talk about our perspective on it as hockey fans and Canadians and just kind of how hard this has been to swallow for all of us because um, these are organizations and people that we not only look up to but have been given voices in the game. Um, like, Of course, we don't know who these people are by name yet, but um, the list includes too many people that are prominent still to this day. And with that, the list of... Uh, other accusations outside of these Hockey Canada ones that people have compiled on Twitter are uh, disgusting, to say the least. Uh, all these things that have just kind of been a flash in the pan of news or swept under the rug as they came up. But just the the number of, of high-profile names. And I encourage everybody to uh, to seek out these things. I can put a link to it in our uh, description of this. But it just it kind of sours being a fan of this game it's hard to get on here and and talk about how fun hockey is and about salary caps and free agents and all this when really in the back of our minds it's like also there is a very toxic culture in this game that has basically gone unchecked forever so that's super fun oh and it's also being uh, perpetrated with our tax money so that's another bonus there well it's like everything look at everybody that has played for hockey Canada coming up at all the different levels. So you have these moms and dads who are working three or four jobs because their son or daughter is a decent hockey player and has a chance to play in the program to pay for registration fees and everything like that. And a portion of that money is going to cover up sexual assault cases. Like yeah, it's, it's like it's, the the fact that the the price tag on these things is already unattainable, and they could just shave. And I don't know. I think it was something like six percent of that was going to it. Like shave that off, and it becomes affordable to so many more people because you're not covering up sexual assaults with their money. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's absolutely mind blowing that, like, yeah, like you touched on we everybody knows it's been a little bit of a toxic culture for a long time and it appeared as if it was getting better but 2018 isn't that long ago it's not that it would have made it right but it's not like we're talking about something that happened in 1988 right this is this is a couple of years ago some of these players our like are some of the best players in the league potentially yeah, this isn't black and white photos of of some guys you've never heard of without helmets on. This is smartphones. Yeah. Like this is this is now. This happened. And uh man, it's it's gross and the like you said, there's things that we've thought were getting better. There's been things that are addressed like we we talked a lot about the Kyle Beach story as that happened. There was, you know, the outrage on the drafting of Logan Mayu and um that other kid something Mitchell or Mitch something that Arizona oh, yeah. drafted the, who was like the racist bully kid. Um, I mean, there was a lot of those things that happened where, where hockey as a whole took a stance and said, no, like we're not going to stand for this. 
Um, and that was nice to see, but it seems like it was kind of all, you know, smoke and mirrors to, to allow other things to keep going on as long as they don't find them out. It, it's basically to a point where you need to put your money where your mouth is like, and their own. Not ours. Yeah. And like, and I got into it with someone on Twitter the other day about this. I don't care if it's Kale McCarr because he's on that 2018 team. I don't think it was. He was away at university at that time, so he wasn't in London. But even if it was him, I don't care that he just won the cup. I don't care that he just won the Norris Trophy and the Consmite Trophy. That contract is voided, and he's not allowed to play in the league. Done. So just to be fair to Kel McCarr, who I think has enough of a defense yeah. here, let's say it's Alex Formanton or Drake Batherson, who at this point have no defense of mm-hmm. whether they were there or not. Um, those are massive names for the Ottawa Senators right now. Those contracts could be torn up, yep. and maybe Ottawa. Co- I don't. Okay, I don't know if I touched on this last episode, and this is me repeating myself. But what if Ottawa caught wind of this? Because look, Rick Westhead does all this investigating, talks to people. He's very open about communicating to people that the reports are going to come out, so people know things if they are involved in it before the report comes out to the public. What if the Ottawa Senators caught wind of this happening? And that's why Alex DeBrincat and Claude Giroux and these big signings are happening and they're throwing money around. Everyone was thinking, oh, Ottawa's spending a lot more money than they usually do. Maybe there's a lot about to come off the books. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, like, I want to come out and come clear. I, I haven't heard anything. I'm not accusing Kale McCarr. I'm just, he's the biggest name on the team. And I, I'm, I'm trying to say, like, I don't care who it is on that team. Yeah. Like, if it, it doesn't matter how good of a player they are, like the stuff that's going on with Evander Kane, I don't care how good of a player he is. If it's come out and it's proven that he is beating his wife, he needs to be booted from the league. Like that kind of shit just should not stand. No, no ifs, ands, or yeah. buts. And just to, to bring it back, like it's just as a Canadian and this being the governing body of what is our sport that like we make so much of our identity and so many other countries look at as our identity, like just on a global scale, like if you're somebody who's in, in Europe or, or South America or something, you think of Canada, like one of the first things people associate us with is hockey. And now that this world news is that our governing body of hockey has been covering up like it's just graphic, the level of sexual violence that these guys have been committing. Like, it's not just, it's not your everyday shit. Like, this is horrible what has been reported. So, like, I just, it's embarrassing, man. It's hard to sit here in a room with a bunch of Leaf jerseys and be like, yeah, let's go hockey. Like, fucking, it's so depressing to just know that this, like, I mean, we've all grown up. I mean, not all of us. A lot of us have grown up here and seen what hockey players are like and i'm not saying everybody because of course some of these people are the best people out there but like there's a stereotype associated with them and people saw this behavior whether they were 13 15 18 22 like you no matter what level of hockey it is this this culture exists and something needs to be done about it and clearly the the body that was in charge of this did not give a shit yeah and that's just sad oh it's 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 ridiculously sad and what baffles me even more is you have people defending 
certain players. Like the number of times I've seen over the last couple of weeks that Logan Mayu didn't commit a sex crime. Because, oh, he wasn't charged with that. He was charged with defamation. Okay. Like, come on. We're going to split that, hairs on this. It's the culture. Yeah. It's the entitlement he, that they can do whatever the fuck they want with people. Absolutely. He performed an act with a woman and then shared photographic evidence of that without her consent. That it, I, I don't care what it's classified as. That's ridiculous. And the fact that a franchise still drafted him after that became public knowledge. And he even tried to step up and say, nobody draft me this round. I need to work on my shit. And they still drafted him. Yeah, and that that goes to show that it's not only Hockey Canada that has a problem, it's the NHL that has a problem with perpetuating this culture and not um, reprimanding anybody for it. Like, I mean, look, it wasn't anything to do with sexual assault, but we talked about how Tony D'Angelo, huge piece of shit, gets a slap on the wrist by getting cut by the team, gets a one-year, $1 million contract, and then immediately the next season gets two times five. Now, again, I'm not equating Tony D'Angelo and his behavior to the same level as what these guys did, but it's just it's it goes to show that there's no repercussions for anything in hockey. It's just as long as it's long enough that people have forgotten about it or have moved on to the next thing, it's just all right, good, that one's gone. We can move on. Like there's they don't they're not interested in actually handing out any punishment for these things. They're only interested in having the public move on from it. Yeah, and I even had people try and call me out like, oh, you're sitting here criticizing Logan Mayu and criticizing everything like this, but you know, you're not saying anything about Matthews. Okay, yeah, Matthews was an idiot. He was a drunken idiot. Him and his friends tried to open up a car of a security guard in the middle of the night, which isn't right. And he dropped his pants and showed his underwear. Yes, that's stupid. Yes, that's childish. I'm I'm not saying it's right, but it's not. He didn't beat someone. He didn't share photos of like someone when they were naked or in a compromising position. He didn't sexually assault like. But at the same time, to not defend him, it it's not the same level. But it just goes to show a mentality that all these hockey players are able to walk around with and an entitlement. Yeah, and it's it's unchecked. Look, they have the advantage of, in Canada, sure, they're huge celebrities. In the States, these guys can, if you're the star of the Vegas Golden Knights or the LA Kings or the San Jose Sharks, you can walk around downtown without a disguise. Nobody knows who the fuck you are. There's a level of, you're still a millionaire and you get to go to all these events and be exposed to people and have these fans. But at the same time, you're anonymous. Like, there's a level of power there that these guys take advantage of. And it's, it's just gross, man. Like, I don't know. They, they get to fly under the radar because anything that happens with them is never going to be headline news because they're not household names. Mm-hmm. They're names within the hockey realm. Like, you know, when these things happened with like Roethlisberger or with, I mean, rest in peace, Kobe, but you know, there were all these accusations against these guys that were stars outside of their sport. And unfortunately, most of these guys that it happens to in hockey are not stars outside of their sport. So it never gets big enough news that they they get any kind of punishment for this. It's it's, uh, it's frustrating. Anyway. 
Do you want to end on some fun news? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, there was something floating around Twitter. Um, people were pissed off at Kylie Jenner for taking three-minute uh, flights on her private jet. Did mm. you see this? Yep. So there's a awesome Twitter account at Celeb Jets that I've been checking out. It's the guy who tracks Jeff Bezos's jet too. He set this thing up. There's a database online where it's public records. It's not like they're hacking or stealing anything. All these uh, private jet flights have to be registered because they're taking off and landing at public airports. So this guy set up an automated Twitter account to tweet out where they're taking off from, where they land, how long the flight was, and uh, how much fuel they use, the cost of said fuel, and the environmental impact of said flight. I find this very interesting. So uh, this obviously blew up because everyone saw that Kylie Jenner flew from one airport to the next one in California, and it said estimated time, three minutes. What's really bad about this, though, is not the three-minute flights. I mean, those are obviously awful. Here, Kim Kardashian just took a 10-minute flight seven hours ago. Um, That is one ton of CO2 emissions. That's about a year's worth of you driving your car. So, I mean, I know they said this was fun news, but, like, it's kind of funny. It's, like, all these things that we're told every day of, like, oh, you're going to recycle and and cut down and, you know, maybe ride your bike to work those couple days. It doesn't really make that much of a difference if you ride your bike one day to work when Mark Wahlberg takes a 45-minute flight across the States and uses five tons of CO2 and $3,000 worth of fuel. Like, (laughs) why are there no restrictions on these things? This is nuts. Because it's the States and it's money. Like, I get it, but my God, that is a gaping hole in the environmental protection efforts, if I must say. Oh, absolutely. Like they're um, the guy said that they're five to fourteen times more polluting than a commercial airline. Like, pardonnez-moi, you should not be allowed to just take joy rides in these from one place to another. The ridiculous one was someone tracked uh, based on where he was flying and his concert schedule. Kenny Chesney flew into uh, I think it was Oregon, did his sound check for his concert, then flew to the next state over for dinner and flew back for his concert that night. Are you joking? <laughs> this is the level. Uh, we want to talk about entitlement. This is another level of entitlement with uh, with people with money. Man, must be nice. Absolutely ridiculous. So when you feel bad about spending that uh, twelve dollars after taxes and service fees for uh, for your Uber Eats, Kenny Chesney's spending uh, three thousand dollars for a round trip to fly for dinner. Ah. <laughs> uh. I love it. Okay, anything hockey related we should end on here? Um, people are throwing generational out too often because Matthew Kachuk is not generational <laughs> because he's not, not even the best player talent. in his family. Um, I <laughs> said this in our group chat, but I read that out because, um, I don't know, my, my girlfriend by proxy has just been forced to hear a lot of hockey news. And um, I was like, Wow, they just called Matthew Kachuk a generational talent. She's like, generational? I didn't even know Brady Kachuk had a brother until this week. <laughs> and I love that because it's like, exactly. That's the level of like, wait, generational? Pardon me? Yeah, so perfect. Oh, that sums it up great. Um, 
And also, for anybody who's scared, Austin Matthews is not going to leave to the States because uh, if you haven't noticed, because you don't live in the Toronto area, he's on a commercial for literally everything every week, and you cannot make that kind of money anywhere else. Yeah, he, he's, he's the type of type of player and type of personality that wants to have the the notoriety. He wants to have the spotlight, basically. And he's best friends with Justin Bieber. Yeah. Justin Bieber's a massive Leafs fan. Like, I don't see that, that marriage <laughs> ending anytime soon. He doesn't want his 60 goals to go, like, unnoticed. He wants a fucking parade for that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. He's not, I mean, look, I get it if you're an Edmonton fan and you've watched Connor and Leon be pissed off in interviews, but look, these guys are win or lose. And I know they cry sometimes when they lose, but like at the end of the day, they all like playing here. They, they have their little family. Watch the doc. They're, they're nuts about each other. I don't see any of them running away just because it's an open market, but we'll see how everything shakes out in the next couple of years, I guess. <sighs> With that, I guess we should uh, sign her off. Sounds so, good. So follow us at uh, Leafs Late Night, and uh, we'll be back probably Wednesday, if not next Sunday. So uh, see you soon, and have a good evening. This has been Leafs Late Night. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Leafs Late Night, your night of post-game podcast. Available after every game on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and more.